Thanks for watching the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Atlas VPN. Right now, I'm going to change my phone so that I am registered out of America. Let's go with Dallas, Texas, shall we? Just like that, I can now access everything online that our American friends can access, whereas previously I was blocked. And we've got the best VPN deal on the market. Enjoy the most affordable online protection for just $1.83 a month, which is just over a pound. And three months extra with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect unlimited devices. Atlas VPN protects all your devices with a single subscription. You can grab this summer deal now because Atlas VPN Premium is just $1.83 a month. Plus three months extra. And with a 30-day money-back guarantee, protect your privacy and get many benefits of Atlas VPN for the ridiculously low price. You can take this deal by clicking the link in the video description below on YouTube. Be quick as it's a limited time offer. Thanks for checking out our sponsor, Back to the Podcast. Here we go. You're in for a dark and dangerous journey today into the most deadly prisoners that Stephen Gillen ever met during his many years in the UK system. We're talking people you know. We're talking people you don't know. Some of the ones you know, Charles Bronson, Essex Boys... We've got the Brinks, Matt Robbers, we've got IRA, and there's many that you don't know, and the crimes are off the scale. If you didn't see part one with Stephen, it's got almost 200,000 views. Chet Sandu was in the mix, it was absolute mayhem. We're going to have more concrete, solid stories this time, and all of Stephen's links are in the description box below this video, including tickets to the show in Kingston, London, coming up on September the 2nd, and also links to his book, but new book. We're going to get straight into the stories, and we're going to start out with the story of Fred Lowe. So, huge thank you for coming on, Stephen. And this Fred Lowe character, what was the deal with him? Because I've never heard of him. Firstly, Sean, lovely to be back with you. You know, love the work that you're doing. Love the last interview. Lots happened since then, Sean. So uh, uh, we'll go straight into it. Fred Lowe. <clears throat> it was a very unique character. He looked kind of no- uh, noncy, Sean. Dare I say it? Little uh, milk bottle glasses, unassuming guy. But this guy had murdered three people in the system. Right? What's your back with this guy? I'm telling you. One story I'm going to say about, and there are a few of these stories about all of the people I can go through, and there's going to be more, of course, on the tour. But one really meaty one about Fred Lowe was in Long Larton. In the, in the middle, middle 90s, you know, when I was doing my 17 years there as a KA. So, um, there was a black guy on the, on the ones there, you know, long line, it's in Spurs, very dark little Spurs. They're like, you know, one up, two down. He was playing his music really, really loud. Not really loud. So the people upstairs, you know, they come down, they said, look, mate, do you mind, do you mind turning that down? So, you know, he come out, didn't he? Ah, oh, this, that, all the rest of it. So they said, all right, mate, you know, no worries. Anyway, he kept on doing it. Sean, right? Respect's a big thing in places, as you know. And this was the time, Sean, where there was knives everywhere then. It was, you know, we ran, we ran the next then. You know, the screws was terrified to go in them spurs. There was knives plotted everywhere, right, in them days. So I kept on with the music. 
The guy come back down again, who was a friend of Fred Lowe's, used to used to have it with him, and said, "Look, mate, really, that music. Can you turn the music down?" So you know, come out a black guy, big knife, blood, blood, this, that, that, waving it around, right? So the guy he said, "All right, mate, no worries, right?" Of course, the next time they come down, Sean, they plotted it all up, and Fred Lowe, being an unassuming killer that he is. They knew that this guy had come out and make a big scene with the knives like he did before. So they got Fred Lowe to go the other side of his cell. Then they went to the cell. They got him out of the cell, again, about the music, you know, and said something. Of course, the guy come out, didn't it, with the knife. What, you want to have it, this, that, and the other? Fred Lowe was there, of course. So, you know, as soon as he put his hand up, this black guy, he was a dread Sean as well, right? He was a fit lump. He was a bit, he was, you know, he was a physical guy. Fred Lowe grabbed his arm, and the other guy went straight in. Bang, 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 bang. You know, took him straight out. This black guy had his uh, had his guts in his hands, Sean. So, you know, he was teabagged, really. Just like that, it happened so fast, this stuff, Sean, right? Went into a cell, the black guy, to, you know, he's holding his guts in. You know, and he died in there, Sean. You know, died in there. Dead, that was it, a closed door, whatever, you know, and he died in there, the guy. Was there any consequences for Fred Lowe for doing that? Yeah, there was. You see, the thing about, there was, you know, there was two of them, right, you know, and I'm not mentioning the other guy's name, right, but it was about, you know, regardless of what people think, there's too many people who will grass in prison or even out here, Sean. So, of course, it went back what it was and what it weren't. So it wasn't long, you know, a few months after, you know, they was nicked for that murder. And then there was a trial a couple of years after Fred Lowe was given life, another life for that murder. So that was his third murder inside. Of course, he's one of the most dangerous prisoners in the in the system. You know, he's killed three people. Not more dangerous than Charlie Bronson, um, uh, Sean, who hasn't killed anyone you would say. And, of course, he'll never get out again. He's just one, just one of these guys. And if you pass Fred Lowe on the street, would you not think twice? You really wouldn't, Sean. It's that kind of guy. And that's the reason why I put Fred. There are so many of these guys. But he really is unique in that sense. He actually looks like a sex offender, Sean. He's got the big, thick milk bottle glasses, really quietly spoken, beard, you know, unassuming, kind of fidgety. Quiet guy in the corner, looks like a looks like a two and eight. He really does, you know. So yeah, you'd never you'd never think it. Very very dangerous guy. Do you know why he came to prison in the first place? I think it was something to do with violence for him, but it wasn't a big charge. And of course, he kept murdering murdering people when he was away. So um, he's never going to be released. So the next one then was. The Liberian. Ferdinand Leveld. Yeah, he's another one. Another one, memorable character that sticks in the memory. He left uh, Liberia because of the war over there. Come over here, big black guy, very dark. He was uh, got a job as a bouncer. Ended up killed someone on the door of a club in the West End. I mean, he ripped this guy with a knife, uh, machete, from here up to his neck, right? Gets life for murder. 
that was just the start of it for him. He, you know, he was the one who um, threw uh, boiling, uh, boiling hot oil over a screw in Whitemore what the, and had three trials for it and, and got not guilty on it. What had the screw done to provoke? Oh, the screw was, uh, you know, he was a bit of a dog in this, Sean. He really was, you know, he was a real target. He used to cause a lot of problems, right? So he's well known, you know. And uh, he picked on the wrong one at the wrong time there, right, which happens. But the thing about Ferdinand Lavelle, there's many stories about these characters, but here's one that sticks in the mind. Because he stabbed a few of my pals in there, and he was really wanted. He was a big target, right? This guy he used to uh, walk around with a PP9 in a sock, down his trousers or whatever. But he used to always have this um, tissue box in his hand. I was thinking, you know, I even thought, why does this guy always walk around with a tissue box? Of course, he had a knife in there underneath the thing, big knife, right? That was the reason why. But I was in Long Larton, Sean, and I'll never forget it. He's in there in the TV room, so it's TV room, you know. It's kind of bigger than your normal TV rooms in prison. A lot of kind of chairs in there. There was about eight of us in there. One evening, he'd be, because he was a bully, this Ferdinand Lafayette, he'd bully people and the younger ones or the, or the weaker ones, he thought he'd get away with it. And he was bullying this, uh, this uh, scarce guy, this younger scarce guy. So, you know, everyone is firmed up in them places. You know yourself, they're on the food boat, Sean. You know, the gangs in there, the Londoners, the Scassers, the Manx. You know, you'd stick to your own. They'd protect each other. You'd eat together. You'd train together. So, of course, you know, he picked on the wrong one here. So they come, didn't they? Hit squad. I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting in the room, Sean. I hear, bang, the door goes. I see them all come in, ballied up, right? <clears throat> Four of them. Hit squad, right? They got knives, right? One of them's got a pot, a little pot of boiling hot oil. So they're coming for uh, Lavelle, right? And of course, he sees it. So they give it to him with the oil, right? And I can remember, so see him after, all his jumper and all that had, you know, had been melted into his hand where they kind of got him out, right? That was just the start of it. You know, of course, they're on him like a pack of wolves, Sean, right? And he's a dangerous guy, this Lavelle. So he stands up to try and try and defend himself. But they're too fast for him, Sean. They mean business. They have to take this guy out, often wing, right? So they're on him, all around him, stabbing him, moving around him. And they get him. They get through like they get him. You know, they're too fast, too quick, too many of them, right? You know, and they mean business, right? He goes down on one leg, Sean. And they was just on him. You know, he got stabbed in the neck. He got stabbed about 15 times in there, right? They took him out. And it was crazy. You know, I see this kind of stuff a few times, but I see a hit squad come like that, Sean, in, do that, out, gone, is really something. You're like, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, he died, you know, uh, uh, twice on the way to hospital, but lived again, this guy. This guy was a guy, he really had uh, 10 lives, this guy. Did he try and get revenge on those guys? When he came back? Sean, the thing about them days, high security prisons, as you know, when people make a move and you're like that, you're not coming back. Mm. You're either dead brown bread, but you're going off the wing hospital case, and that's because, you know, there's too much stuff going on. You can't be trusted. You, you know, whatever it is, you know, you need to go. So... You know, you won't be coming back on the wing. Maybe you catch these people in another prison much later if you live to tell the tale. But, 
you know, he had a lot of enemies. He was one guy in the system over a lot of years who was notorious, who had a lot of enemies. Why was he stabbing so many people in the first place? He can't, I'll tell you what it was, Sean, with him. He stabbed, he stabbed, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Char- Charlie McGee, who is a really well-known London armed robber, right, with other people. Charlie died in there, you know, with heart, heart disease, right? But he was a very well-known guy. And Ferdinand was in Brixton unit at the start of his sentence with Charlie McGee, and they kind of fell out, and he stabbed Charlie. Not a good start. So Charlie was a really well-known, respected guy in the system. So this carried all the way through with him, and then it was that tit for tat. And fell he, out uh, over what? I'm not quite sure what it was. Something stupid, Sean. You know, something stupid. He said something or whatever, and they fell out. Yeah. But he stabbed Charlie, right? You know, he stabbed Charlie, right? And uh, you know that was the worst uh, thing to do. You know. <sighs> all right. Next one. We're going over to Charles Bronson. And the story of John Steed. Another one, memorable one. And of course, look, with Charlie, there's so much in the press about me and Charlie. You know, uh, so many interviews and all that. Of course, I knew Charlie very well. I was in the cages with Charlie. When they built uh, Woodhill uh, Close Supervision Centre, they spent $15 million on that. It was based on Marion in the States to has the most... Uh, disruptive prisoners that they couldn't manage. Charlie was the ape selected for that. I was the ninth. You know, you had to, it's still there today. A crazy place, right? So Charlie, you know, I was in a few places with Charlie, but it was always segregation or units because of our kind of category and what was going on. This was in Full Sutton, you know, another, another dispersal up, up in York. You know, we're down there about four months, me and Charlie, but when I first got there, right, um, Next door to me, there was another cat A. You know, you see the red A on the, on the thing. You say, okay, you know, it must be a serious case, this guy. You know, anyway, I'm in this, I'm in this cell, Sean. You know, and you know you talk to people through the pipe or through the window. So he knocks on the thing, this guy. And he says, hey, hey, you know, this guy talks to me. Now, I'm, you know, kind of guarded. I said, you know, like, who are you, mate? And, you know, you want to find out who, who, the, who these people are, right, before you get into it with them. So he says... He says, here, yeah. he says, I always wanted to be like you. You know, he has a London accent, this guy. What's this guy talking about? Yeah, I always, you know, I was a bit of a villain. But then I, you know, I kind of went on and, like, I killed a girl. You know what I mean? Because she didn't obey me, you know, and I was a rapist. I said, you fucking what? That's what I said to him. I couldn't believe, I mean, I, you know, I said, seeing you, I said, you wrong. And I said, look, don't, oh, my name, move that pipe, right? Don't bang on that wall. I said, you fucking beast right and that was it that was the first engagement with this guy anyway because you'd send a line at you know you send a line at to get things down sean whatever it was bit of food better you know snack or whatever it was in them days it kept throwing things over our line to hook the papers in because no one had talked to him because he was a very very bad case so, you know, I'm there with Charlie, a few other people were there, and we'd be, you know, we talk for hours. Charlie's such, got so many stories, right? You know, about Broadmoor, like, I mean, stitches, but we talk for hours, really, right? And um, more about that, some really exclusive stuff, you know, of course, on September the 2nd, Kingston, London as well. But um, this went on for a little while, and I kid you not, Sean, I was in my bed one morning, and it must have been about 6 o'clock, in the morning, 
And I hear the screw goat was flat next door. And I hear the radio go and he says, Rigor Mortis. So, you know, I hear that Rigor Mortis. I think, what the fuck's that Rigor Mortis? I mean, it's only one thing that can magnify. What's he talking about? So anyway, it's a big activity now. So what he's done, this guy next door hung himself, Sean. Hung himself, killed himself in the night. Now, this was the M25 rapist. I found out after. His name was John Steed. And he was a big steroid, uh, steroid bodybuilding guy who was kidnapping women <sighs> and doing all this stuff, oh, right? So, you know, that was, that was him. You know, so he killed himself in there. But, you know, Sean, I didn't hear one, one thing. Not one. And then, then walls was paper thin, Sean. But I didn't hear anything in there. Didn't feel nothing in there. And yeah, so, uh, that was another one. Another what, story. What true think, story. What do you think pushed him over the edge to end it? It's a funny thing, really. You know, and I, you know, I thought about this because it's a very bad ending, right? For anyone, Sean. Right. Let's be honest, right? And, um, it was taking a bit of abuse down there. But he'd done 10 years, this guy, really. He wasn't new. He'd done 10 years, this guy. So whatever went on down there with different stuff, what it was, he come to the end of it. But he was a Buddhist, like, apparently, and he picked a certain Buddhist date in the diary to do it, whatever that means. I mean, I heard that after, right? So there was some, some synchronicity to that. It was a certain day, and he'd picked that day, right, you know? So... Sounds like his karma caught up with him. Karma. Karma. So next one then, you know, we've had a few people on in relation to the Essex boys and they've all done very well, the podcasts. You were in the Sky documentary, but you also did personally know Pat Tate, Tony Tucker, Billy Jasper, etc. Yeah, 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 I knew them. I mean, look, you know, there was a lot of stuff said, obviously, in the in the... Essex murders in the in the Sky documentary, right? Of course, they cut a lot of it. They interview, you know what it's like in in post Sean. Some of it, I you know, I didn't agree with because I know you know you know a bit more. You know, and I knew these guys. I knew uh, Steel. You know, I knew Wombs as well. I was away with both of them, so I kind of knew them in prison. I knew Jasper outside. You know, he was shot in the nut. Jasper, this was going back before Billy Jasper, right? You know, when he was kind of around, you had guys like Billy Gale and all these really old school guys. You know, and there was a lot of... Uh, what I will say, Sean, about this, and there's going to be more, of course, I'm going to say, you know, at the event, is um, there was other people behind this, you know, some of them which are not here now, right? You know, and that's fine, you know? That's all I'm going to say on, you know, and that. Of course, I let... Sleeping dogs lie. I know so much, Sean, but you know, I let sleeping dogs lie. What I can say is, look, you know, I knew Pat, I was away with Pat and Whitemore. It's when he left Whitemore after and went out where he, where he got, where he got killed, right? About nine months later or something, you know, 10 months later. What was he like as a person? Pat was, (laughs) Pat was charismatic, right? In that way, you know, he's a charismatic guy. You get on with him and all this kind of stuff. You know, I got on with him. He was, you know, he was that kind of guy, really, in a way, who, it could be a bully sometimes. Not what you would think, but he could be a bully, you know, for sure. 
You know, and I do know it's out and I do see that because I've seen it all before, but not with people who couldn't bully or certain faces or stuff like that. I see that part about Pat, but there were some good parts to Pat as well. You know, I knew, you know, I knew Tony as well, Tucker, through, through a lot of different people. And of course, I was hearing these names and we was wrapped up in a lot of stuff in them days before I went away and even after with you know, friends of mine who was involved in the parties and all other stuff that was going on there. So, look, you know, what I will say is, you know, Pat, you know, although he was uh, a loose cannon, they was all loose cannons, right, you know, because their drugs uh, consumption and all the rest of it, of what they was doing, Tucker was 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 the guy who, who was the target here. Do you know what I'm saying? And there are, you know, there are reasons for that, right? You know, uh, there's been a lot said. I've seen a lot of people go out there and say stuff and talk stuff that they don't even know what they're talking about, Sean. Put themselves up. For me, I, you know, if I'm, I knew these guys, but don't know people, I don't know them. I know what I know, but I don't embellish. I don't window dress anything. It is what it is. But I can add my piece, what I think, you know, to this, having, you know, known these guys, right? So, you know, big case. A lot going on about it, and yeah, that's what I can be prepared to say now about that. Do you think the police, the corrupt Essex police, had a role in the demise of these guys? Look, absolutely. The police are always in the mix, Sean. They're always there. You know, I've said this before. You know, even when I went to the Old Bailey, I had three trials at the Old Bailey, Mike Juicy said to me, Stephen, if you've come in with justice, you've come to the wrong place. This is a Queen's Council town. I mean, I know that anyway. But when he's telling me that the Queen's Council, I mean, there you go, right? Because it's 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 theatre. You've got the Freemasonry thing wrapped up in it. You've got the whole uh, retribution, payback, the, the financial, you know, implications, right? You know, all of that wrapped up in it. You know, in many ways, even my sentence, you know, it, it was even put down before I got it, Sean. They pretty much knew what they were, you know, as they usually do. So it's, you know, it's very much manipulated and that's just the way it is. So the next one on the list then, we've got the Mafia Butcher of Alfont. Franco De Carlo, he was the, you know, he was known as the Butcher of Alfonte. Alfonte. Now, Alfonte then was where the Colleones was and this was... You know, Toto Reno and all that. These are the big names, right? These guys back in the day. There's a really bad mafia war over there in the eighties, which is where the Colleones come to come to come to dominance then, right? Of course this migrates, it's very different over there now. But he was he come away from Italy at that time, right back when it was like in the middle of that mafia war. You know, and he travelled around the world, but you know, he had a castle and all that, and you know, in Sicily he was a duke and all this stuff. He had a title, but he was he was a boss, right? And um, so they got they got arrested. They was uh, shipping antiques furniture around the world with loads of kilos of. Uh, they got it with forty kilos of whatever it was. They knew they was when they got them. These are made made people, right? Sicilian mafia and all that. So there was a few of them nicked. Um, uh, Di Carlo was the main one. Very big name then. Uh, Filippo Monteleone. You know, he was a good friend of mine, uh, Philip. So they was, you know, the people under him. But, you know, they used to, 
at the Bailey Shawn when they, you know, after the case, you know, when you go down the down downstairs and all that, you know, they'd kiss his hands and all that. It was, you know, all that stuff, right? That honor, respect stuff, really, right? But um, yeah, there's a lot more, you know, about them guys, you know. But but um, when you say they kissed his hands, you mean like his co-defendants? Yeah, co-defendants. Uh, Philippo and the other one, because he was the boss. He had, he had, he had the rank, right? So you know, there's a structure there, right? You know, the Italian mafia is a structure, Sean. You know that. So even that w- was very, very held then, even inside, right? Which was interesting, well, right? Does, How does, it was? Does that status of being the Italian mafia boss get respected by the British prisoners? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, he was in the SSUs a lot, uh, Franco as well, right? You know, I did, I did meet him, obviously. I knew Filippo a lot better, but, um, yeah, I mean, he was a money man. He had a lot of money, you know, I heard a lot of stories, but, you know, they'd wind him up a little bit here and there as well, Sean, right? As you do in there, right? But he was, you know, he was, you know, respected too. Have you got, but, an, um, have you got an example of a wind up? Well, God, you know, they used to put things through his door saying you're going back to Italy and all that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, getting him at it, going back to Italy. It's like, you know, go back to Italy then. You know, I mean, what happened What happened to him was they killed his brother over there. You know, they murdered his brother. So it turned, Sean, as these things do, right, an organised crime, you know, it turned against him. And, um, but he, uh, so he went over there and he, uh, he testified against, um, the Italian prime minister, uh, Andoretti and all that. He was at that level, you know, of mafia, mafia collusion. So he'd done a deal with them, you know, saying about, um, you know, all the mafia collusion and they, and they brought him back. And of course, you know, he testified. But, um, uh, I remember talking to Filippo about it. You know, talking, you know, about Franco, you know, Franco and all that. And, you know, even then it's still, you know, it'd be really quiet about it. But you could see he was very old school to the oath. He didn't like it. Do you know what I mean? And it looks bad on him. Like, you know, his life would have been in danger as well just by the association. What's going on with that guy? Do you know what I mean? But he wouldn't it'd just be the silence. He'd say, Stephen, you know. He went and he done that. It's you know he has to has to do what he has to do. You know he's he's kind of made his bed. He's going to have to lay in it. But he wouldn't say any more any more than that. Did they try and whack him over there? Yeah. Well, look, you know, of course they are. You know, if they can, I mean, I don't know, you know, exactly how they do the witness protection thing over there in Sicily. But at that level of what you're, you know, you're very marked, right? You know, whatever he. He done over there. So who was the Knightsbridge safety deposit robber? Oh, Gigi, yeah. Uh, Valerio Vici, you know, another one. Sean, there are so many of these characters, right? So many memorable, memorable stories. They're very, very historic as well. He was a Knightsbridge safety deposit robber. And, um, you know, I remember he told me, you know, he said, Steve, when he went in there, you know, they'd done all the groundwork to get in there. When they opened that door and he actually got in there, you know, he had the inside guy. He said, I didn't know if the, you know, the flying scroll was going to be behind it, Steve, or what, but they weren't. So he got in there. He said, Steve, I opened up all, you know, all the boxes, but he found kilos of Charlie in some of them, Sean. He found kilos of Charlie in some of them and others. He found some really, really bad photos of people. I mean, obviously, right? You know, it's not hard to see of some prominent people that was holding things in there. You know, and he went home. He said, Steve, I had it all in the bath. 
all the, you know, I forget what it was, it's 27 million or something, like he took from there. And, you know, he told me, you know, there's more stories about Gigi. I mean, I liked Gigi, I really did. But he, um, flamboyant character, you know, in the Italian kind of a way, obviously, right? But he, he, he got deported back to, back to Italy. Uh, Valerio and you know some years ago he was on another meeting with another mafia guy and there was a shootout with a carabinieri over there and he got killed you know the two of them so you know uh, Gigi's gone now he's, uh, he's gone next up is the Brinks Matt Robbers yeah I mean Mickey McAvoy and all these guys I knew them well Brian Brian Robinson and um you know, they was always good to me. They was very, very held in, in high regard. I mean, Mickey's past now, bless him, right, and all that. I don't need to go into anything too, too deep here. Could, you, ex- was- could, could you explain to the viewers what the Brinks Matt robbery was? Yeah, it was the gold uh, bullion robbery back in the 80s from, from Heathrow Airport. It was a massive, you know, this went on and it went on. You had Kenny Noy after, of course, you know, he killed the policeman and, and all that stuff. I knew Kenny as well, quite well, right? You know, Kenny and I, I was away with Kenny there as well. Um, Brian Perry in that case was quite a thing, right? Because he was, you know, he was part of the bit of work or whatever. You know, he didn't get nicked for it, right? Yeah, or whatever. But, you know, the word on the grapevine and certainly, right, you know, he'd done some really, really bad stuff, right? You know, um, to people involved in that, you know, like I said, I'm not going to go into make make it too personal here. You know, it's not my way, and I wouldn't, you know, I will never do that about certain things, like I say, right? But of course, Brian Brian Perry, he he was murdered in Bermondsey, right? You know, not not soon after. You know, there's been quite a few people on that case, right? But you know, he, um, you know, it was said, right? Obviously, you know, he took a lot of money, other people's money. I don't know whose money you took, obviously, to say the name, right? You know, out of respect. And um, and even his woman, right? And other stuff, right? Say this name out of respect. So, yeah, you know, and Kenny Noy. So, you know, some other stuff there as well. Uh, big case. Um, yeah. Very, very, very memorable, uh, uh, memorable people, you know, Mickey and all that stuff, you know. Well respected and, um, yeah. Next up, we've got the IRA smugglers, including Dermot Gregory. But my first question is, are the IRA considered like a military force in the prison system, something like that? Sean, look, me coming from Belfast and having that upbringing in the middle of that, of, you know, of that war over there, I have a much deeper understanding of how that actually translates, right, you know, in real time, you know. So the easy answer is, Sean, is... One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fire. You have to remember that. Depends what part of the hill you're born and that you're looking from. It's really as easy as that. You know, you're carrying a lot of historic trauma and, you know, epigenetics even, you know, that's going through people that, that, that it's in there, right? And it's passed down through the, through the, through the generations, this stuff, right? All over the world, it's the same thing with wars and this stuff, right? So, um, they're a military force. There's no, there's no question, right? You know, even some of the British Army's uh, guys, you know, I knew they say, look, these guys was well trained. You know, they knew their stuff. They had, they had all their military powers and all that stuff. 
So they was well trained, these guys. They was well armed, right? You know, and they was very, very dedicated to what they. I mean, that that's a fact, right? You know what I mean? Um, in the in the prison system in the old days, of course, it was they had a very rough time, you know, times of the Guildford uh, bombing and all that. You know, that was very bad for them when they when they start going into the uh, the penal system. You know, the British judicial system for obvious reasons, right? But as time went on, Sean, certainly in the time where I was away, they was a lot more respected and understood. And I have to say, these guys, they always carried themselves impeccably. I mean, you know, these guys, they do, and they were all doing big sentences. You know, 30 years plus was like the norm. Double, double A and all that, obviously, and all the rest of it. But, you know, I'd never see these guys moaning. I'd see everyone else moaning, Sean, all the time, pretty much. But I'd never see these guys moaning. So, you know, that tells you something, right? That tells you something, yeah? Would it be the case that if an individual had a problem with one of the IRA guys, they would be taking on the whole of the IRA, or would it be settled one-on-one? Oh, there's so many stories. I can remember I knew little Dingus, Dingus McGee. Thanks for watching our podcast. This is a word from our sponsor, Shopify. I feel like I'm missing out because everyone is starting a side hustle or their own business these days. And you know what they're hearing a lot? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. The all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Are you selling books or events like us? Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Shopify covers all your sales channels from a shopfront ready POS system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform. Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. Look, there's so many options out there to expand your business these days. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean. That's the word from our sponsor. Thanks for watching. Link in description. Back to the podcast. You know, you know, they they uh, escaped from the crumbling road uh, prison, shot their way out of there. Shot the way out of the prison. Shot their way out. How did they get guns in? Oh, that's another story. But they got them in there, right? You know, it's 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 a famous escape. This they shot their way out of the crumbling road prison. Dingus McGee. You know, he was also on a siege where they killed the SAS captain. I mean, he was one of the top most wanted. Dingus McGee. Only a little small guy, Sean. Not a big guy. Little small guy, right? And, um, you know, I can remember him full Sutton. 
And he was kind of unassuming as well. You wouldn't know who he was, Sean. He was one of them, right? Small guy, not unassuming. You wouldn't know who this guy was. And I remember a black guy, I forget where it was, it was down in the education or something. You know, he dug Dingus out. He didn't know who he was dealing with, right? Who he was talking to, who Dingus was. So he said something to Dingus. Yeah, that's it. He said to him, he said, oh, you lot think you're fucking gangsters and all that. Dingus just said to him, I'll gangster you. And just walked away from him. But you know that guy, I'm telling you, when he found out exactly just who he was talking to and what he was saying, he had to go back and, you know, beg them for his, for his, for his life and his lungs back. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. Because, Sean, these guys, look, they're not gangsters. Gangsters to them are a small thing. Gangsters to them are a small thing. They're on a different... You know, they're revolutionaries, freedom fighters. I mean, they they actually police against gangsters back home with this thing. Gangsters don't mean anything to that kind of mindset when you're embroiled in a 800-year war that's been going on with a, with a an empire, as it was at the time. A gangster's a small thing. You know, this has to be said, like, the mindset of just how this translates. But, you know, there's a story. Yeah. So we're talking about the most dangerous individuals. Would you classify the IRA as the most dangerous organisation in the UK prison system? <sighs> Look, my learning, Sean, on dangerousness is <laughs> there are many people that are dangerous, you know? You put them in the wrong corner. I tend to see it more in the translation of violence. Most people, majority of people, are only violent when they're backed into a corner or they have to use violence. But if they're violent people, of course, they can use violence like that, right? There's no worries. It's, it's a tool to be used, Right. But then you've got just your smaller kind of 10%, 15% who really thrive on the violence. I mean, they get a buzz out of it. They go looking for it, and that's a drug to them. This is a different kind of violence. So it depends where you're. Uh, one thing I learned, Sean, obviously, you know yourself when you're in them places, the big, the this, the that, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, all right? You know, I've seen the skinniest, smallest, little unassuming guy, as we've said earlier, be the most dangerous guy out of everyone. I mean, you learn that quickly in them places, all right, you know? So did we talk about Dermot Gregory? Look, Dermot, Dermot, you know, I had many, many times with Dermot, and um, this was when I'd come out, you know, I got uh, arrested again with my brother, you know, for a firearm, all right, and they was... You know, on us again. This was before my transformation. Um, but, but I, um, it was about, you know, protection then really, not a thing. But anyway, so I was back at ages for a little bit, back in the Bailey, right? You know, and, uh, Dermot, Dermot was in there. They was the guys who, um, you know, smuggled all the arms, you know, for the, for the, for the, for the IRA then from, from South America. But, you know, you had some, you know, some real characters in the cat A suite in the Bailey then. You know, you had the Dome Robbers I was in there with. Very good friends of mine, a lot of them. What have they done? Uh, they'd done the diamond, diamond, diamond robbery from the, from the Millennium Dome, right? <laughs> Massive case. Like, you know, you, uh, I mean, all these names are known, obviously. Ray Benson, um, uh, Aldo Shiroki, you know, Billy, all of them guys. And, you know, they was characters. They really was. They was good guys. I mean, they got a, a massive sentence for that. 
really what they got for that. Yeah, it was a big case and all the rest of it, but they didn't use any firearms or anything like that. So you see the kind of case uh, sentence they was given uh, for that. So, yeah, you know, a lot more great stories about, you know, a lot of these memorable characters in the appropriate way, of course. And, um, you know, there'll be more on the tour September 2nd, Sean. What about the notorious Australian bank robber escapologist Ian Steele? Ian Steele. There's a name, another one. Ian Steele was a piece of work, Sean, really. You know, I was in I was in whole special unit. Um, you know, I, I'd done so much uh, solitary, about five years solitary, and I was really going at it with the, you know, the screws in and all that stuff. And you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. A lot of the gang stuff was was going on as well. So we was in that unit. You know, again going through there, and he was in there. You know, he'd come out of the SSUs in 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 Whitemore and all that. He was an escapologist. He was a very very notorious, you know, Australian uh, bank robber. But he'd killed a few people as well. He was a nasty bit of work. Even his even his old woman, he killed Sean. Right? Oh, I mean, man. he'd killed a lot of people. You know, he was jacking people up and killing them with heroin, trying to say that are oh, they? Are, but he was killing them. Right? Nasty bit of work. Anyway, and he was a strange guy as well. So anyway, he tried to. Them kind of places, they're quite, well, they're obviously very, very serious because of the people that's in there. So sometimes there can be a real paranoia in the air. And, of course, you're watching every little slide and all. It all gets blown out of proportion, sort of magnified, right, in them places, right? And he was a very, very unwell, paranoid guy. Like, he's one of them guys you have to watch, right? So, you know, he said something to me. We was at, It had been going, it had been going this way a little bit for a few days, you know, a week or so, and he come to an end, he said something to me up on up on the two's landing in the thing. And a really good friend of mine who was there, there's only about six of us on this unit at the time, you know, these, these are high security units, there's only about six, seven of us selected. There's not big loads of people on this wing. So you're really in each other's uh, pockets there, which makes it worse, Sean, right? It can get really heavy in there, right? Frankie Burley was there from Leeds. Real quality guy i mean frank sadly he was to be released after was involved in a lot of gang wars up in leeds and he was murdered too right sadly frank 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 was lost there was about four five six people murdered up there around that time you know when this happened and frank frank was one of them right um and frank was standing there and he said something this is still to me and we was really fitting in sean really fit, really thing in our primes, you know what I mean? And I looked at Frank, and Frank looked at me, you know, and he nodded as if to say, let's do him, right? So, you know, we've done him, the pair of us up in there. <laughs> like, we've done him, give him a good iron up on top of the thing, right? I mean, he needed a good iron, this guy. You know, it's a language he's going to understand at the time, John. As he was, you know, pushing it, and he was too much, right? You know, and there's no other way to go with these guys, because they'll get a big knife and come and kill you in your bed or something. You have to watch them, right? You know, they're not, they're not. You know, so anyway, bell goes, screws comes, you know, all the rest of it. And, of course, he's taken. We weren't taken because there's two of us against him. So, you know, he's a troublemaker, which he was. So they took him. And um, But I see something a little while ago. He was, he was uh, deported back to, back to Australia. He's like a you know very big name over there. Like you know you had that chopper read and all that stuff. It wasn't like, but he was, you know that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of category over there to them, Sean. And he's come back. 
You said he was an escapologist. Where did he escape from? It escaped from a from a few prisons. I'm not exactly sure, hundred percent, what it was. But one of them was a was a was a secure prison, and it and it escaped. You know, so they put him in the SSU, Sean. You know, exceptional risk. All of that together, you know what they're like. So they put him in the SSUs. He was in the SSUs for a long time. And then, of course, you know, he come from there to us in the other unit. And that was double A, you know, as well where we was then, you know. Right. So we've got Said the Paris and the Chic Metro Bomber. Saeed, yeah. This is, a, this is another... Crazy one, because it's like a paradox, Sean. There's so many paradoxes in life, right, but with some of these guys. And this one threw me completely. I mean, I don't know about the prison system how it is now. You know, I hear things. I've been out of that life, of course, transformed my life, changed my life, Sean, many years now, right? But, of course, I, you know, I hear things, and I've said, like, the Muslim kind of influence in there now is really influential above everything else. This is what I hear, right? But back then in the day, you know, this was, this was just after 9-11 and all these kind of uh, 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 times, right, when, you know, it was very, very heavy what was going on before all the major wars started, right? But this guy, Saeed, you know, I was a KA, I was on the landing with these guys. This wasn't a unit. This was Belmarsh. So I'm on a unit with these guys, and, of course, you're stuck there with these guys. You get to know these guys more than your own your own family because you can't go anywhere, Sean. You're, like, stuck there, right, you know? And, you know, so there's loads of them on the landing, all the top ones, right, the Al-Qaeda and all that. And this guy, Saeed, another guy, unassuming, really, really soft, really gentle guy and all that. Virgin, Sean, and all that stuff. He was one of them ones who could recite the Quran first by verse. There's a name for it. But, um, yeah, you know, he was accused of the Paris Metro bombings, right? And he was in there. But it was unbelievable with this guy because he'd been away already two years without a charge, without a trial, without anything, Sean. No charge, no nothing, right? Do you know what I mean? And it was crazy because... You know, I'd look at these guys, right? And I'd think, you know, and, but they'd be so unassuming and quiet and, you know, holy warriors, they think they are, Sean. You know, and I used to think to myself, because I'd seen all types of violence in my life, Sean, right? All the time, from every angle, every which way to skin a cat. But I'd never actually experienced that kind of violence where it seems the opposite of that. But there is such a penchant for mass violence there that it's off the scale. Did a lot of people die in the Paris? Yeah, there was all bombing. kinds of. I mean, you know, there was all kinds of stuff went on. There were suicide bombings. There were shootings and all that that went over there too, right? As well as, but you know, so um, just I just thought of the mindset, Sean, of it all, right? And it was just that really, um, yeah, that was uh, something that made me think. How did the how did the other prisoners treat him? Look, there was a big gang of them on there, Sean. They had a big gang of them on there. You know, there was another one on there, a sheik. He was like Osama bin Laden's, like one of his right hand men was on there, and he was like the big guy, the sheik, and they was all ran him. But there was a there was you know there was about twenty five strong of them lot together. You know, they was all on the wing there. So they, they, you know, they was left alone. They'd done their own thing and they, 
kind of done their own thing on there. So would they have the same classification of an organisation in the prison system not to mess with as the IRA? Um, yeah, I'd say so in a way. I mean, it's a very serious uh, group for obvious reasons. You know, you know, and they're all together. Uh, a lot of notoriety there, obviously, right? Massive cases. But for me, it wasn't that. I was running these kind of cases all the time. It was the actual people and how that translated real time, you know, because you're there with them. You know, and like I said, uh, Sean, I'd seen every kind of violence. I'd been a part of so much violence in my life, right? So I know what that's about. But I hadn't seen that brand of violence before and how that translated. And it was different, you know, I have to say. But I knew that it was there, of course, do you know what I'm saying? We have the evidence of stuff that's happening in the name of, you know, whatever. But again, so unassuming, so very like sweet, measured, gentle to interact with. Kind of threw me, Sean, right? Threw me, threw me completely for a while. Because you study people, don't you? In there, you can't help like study people in there, you know. I met one of Saddam Hussein's pilots, and he was so educated and polite and mal mannered. And this was in Max in America, and just came across as a lovely guy. Yeah, Sean, people are people, you know. This is the one thing, right? But there are other parts to some people, Sean, aren't there? You know, I've watched a movie about the Iranian embassy. Mm. And visiting London, we actually parked outside it um, last year. I got to see it. And it's quite an action-packed movie based on real events. And when the guys, like when the hostages came out, didn't some of the terrorists mingle into them and try and escape through that? Well, I knew Fozzie. Fozzie, Fozzie was the uh, Najad. Uh, he was the... The only one left alive in that. I mean, that was another big, massive, historic thing on the SAS, you know, the Iranian siege, right? And, um, but he told me again, you know, I knew him well. He said, Steve, look, you know, I'm, of course, we're talking about it all in a day. I said, well, you know, like you're going in there in a day. What was the, what was the, what was the deal there then? So he said, Steve, he said, look, he said, the boss who was there, like the boss of them, you know, he said, we actually had a bottle of whiskey that morning. That's a great start for you guys, right? But they had a bottle of whiskey right in the morning. But he said that the kind of leader who was a leader of them, he was kind of driving it and he kind of drove it all, you know, really. And he wasn't going to relent at all, you know. And they went in there the way they, you know, they went in there. Obviously, look, you know, they was all, you know, the SAS went in there, ironed them all out. It was all killed in there. He was the last one left left alive but he said Steve you know what I'd done he said I could see what was going to happen and I said to him not to kill the guy the diplomat but they'd done it anyway and they slung him out and of course now we're talking now we've got we're going to go in there and we're going to end this thing right he kind of said but he said Steve when they come in there and all that and then you know every way all the shooting and the flashbangs and all that stuff he said I just I, you know, I knew all the media was out there. The world's media was watching everything. He said, so I went in with the hostages. But he said, when I went out and I got out, he said, I was just outside. All the cameras could see me. But when the SAS realized who I was, they tried to pull me back in to nut me. He says, it was only because I got out like that, because they wanted a clean sheet in there. 
He says, that, that's, what, that's what saved my life. He says, because the world's media was there. But they said even they could see it. They tried to, tried to drag him back in now because they realised we're not going to be able to get away with that, right? So that, 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 um, that saved his life. There's a lot more there too as well, but there's just a little bit about, uh, about Fozzie. You said that in part one, there were some stories you left out about your own story from, you know, East London, 17-year sentence, etc. What were those stories you wanted to tell us today? You know, there's so many, so many, Sean, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really say more, you know, September the 2nd. But, you know, I had, I had people I grew up with, Sean, I knew for 25 years who set me up, you know, to get me killed, right? Do you know what I mean? That's the thing about organised crime, you know, and it's not when you're, when you're deep in it to that extent. It's not, it's not that even we didn't have all that history together or even they cared about me and we'd, you know, done so much together. But if it turns against you in a certain way and then the pragmatic decision is, look, it's better, you know, we're going to wipe this and get this out of the way for whatever reason because other people are threatened or they feel threatened or whatever. Sometimes it's just by association by knowing other people and they think, well, if we, you know, we take him out, he's got to go as well because we won't be able to sleep at night. You know, so you have to get you killed. That's just the way it is, right? It's a analytical, pragmatic, uh, you know, decision, right? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff about that. How did you catch wind of that? <sighs> well, you know, I was in a, I was in a uh, club one night, uh, the way in, in, um, uh, Oxton, over by Oxton, um, and uh, under the arches there in East London. And I remember I'd gone there that night. You know, I'd go in and out of there, right, you know, and I went in there that night. But, you know, I can remember when I was in there, you know, I knew a lot of people, uh, uh, Kingsland Road it's on, just over the back of Bethnal Green there where I was. So I'd always know a lot of people to be getting, you know, in and out of there, right? But I remember someone in there that night, they, you know, they buzzed into me and they uh, spilt a load of drink on me thing, Sean, and that kind of annoyed me a little bit. But that made me leave a bit earlier and get off. I thought, you know, when I got off. But about half an hour later, after I'd left, you know, I knew the guys on the door and all that. And there was a little back way in there where you could go in there, right? You know, three three people turned up, ballied like with guns looking for me, you know, went in there. I just missed them, Sean. Now, this is, you know, I kid you not, true story. And this is typical of kind of organised crime because how this translated after, this wasn't even really something that I'd done. It was about a deal that had gone really, really wrong, right? And it was by association of other people I knew. I didn't know what they was going to do. I had no, you know, I wouldn't have put them into it. And then that was that was the comeuppance from that, right? They thought I'm involved in it, but I weren't. But I'll tell you what happened with that in the end. It went on and on. It was, you know, getting very, very serious indeed, right? Of course. And uh, so we called on a meet with these, right? Down, down in West London, right? I'll never forget it, right? It was down in Wilston Lane, down in West London, out of the East Ends before we get a neutral place. So I got another guy who was attached to the other people. I put they'd lost a lot of money, these people, on a bit on a big deal, right? And they'd gone wrong and they'd been robbed. So now they're going back, they're saying, you know, who's responsible for this? We're not having it, right? And of course we was just by association in it. So they want a body shown. So, you know, I we met we'd had to trace it back and get someone else who knew the other people. 
and they had to stand for them because they needed to explain themselves, right? And I'll never forget it, Sean, right? You know, it was a black guy, right? So I go, I go down to Wilston, Wilston Lane, you know, there's three of us, right? We're on the street. It's a busy, busy street where we're doing it, right? You know, I've got the other guy there who says, right, where's this guy? Where's this guy? We're trying to, we're trying to put this to bed, everything, right? And I'm phoning this black guy, but I'm thinking to myself, is this guy going to turn up? I mean, he's going to turn up to this, right? Or is he just like talking? So we waited, waited, waited. And, um, you know, I kid you not, right, Sean, about half an hour later, this flash black guy turns up in a silk shirt with a bird. <laughs> I thought, are you sure? I thought to myself, I thought these people, and thought you'd turn up like these people, do you know what I mean? They're not going to be impressed. And But I said to the guy, I said, do you go? You know, that's a guy who knows the other guy. There's your body, simple. You deal with him, right? I'm done, right? We're done. That shows we're, you know, we ain't been manipulating this. This ain't us who's been doing any setting up here. There's your guy, you go talk to him, you deal with him, right? There's your body, right? And I, t- you know, and after that, Sean, there was, we was outside this little parade of shops and there was little benches. But as soon as that guy come and they got their body, there was three or four people that were sitting down around us. I didn't even know who they was. And they was reading papers. And they got up, all of them, another car come, jumped in the car and went. So they're, they're the ones that's tooled up, right? All these kind of kind of things, Sean, you know? A lot of stories like that. That's just one. How did you get in the mix in the first place? You said by association. Had you introduced someone to someone or something? Well, I knew a family. I knew a family in the East End who obviously they come to me and said, Steve, look, we need so-and-so-and-so. Could you put us into someone? Now, I knew these people, right? And they knew me. It wasn't great friends of mine or anything, but everyone knows everyone, right? And, of course, you've got a good name. I said, yeah, yeah. Just in an offhand way about that, I said, yeah, 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 I know someone. I said, look, you know, I'll get someone in here. And, of course, because it come through my name, they trusted it. But who it went to, it went to someone else. You know, these third party. It was a big drugs deal, Sean. Nothing to do with me. You know, someone else has got involved in it. Right, they've done some trade in a in a in a you know in a in a in a squat. One of them quick like turnaround moves, slight a hand, and of course they pulled a big stroke. They got robbed of people, a lot of money. Of course they're thinking, right, you know, we've been out here, right. So of course the first person they're going to come back to me, you know, and this was like in the East End. Of course I'm not going to have it how he was there. So straight away we're at. You know, we're at loggerheads with that. But that's just one typical typical example. So it was just an introduction. You hadn't co-signed. No, 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 no. no. And that's just how easy. I mean, there, there was, one, there was nothing that. even in it for you, was there? Sean, this is the thing. <laughs> you know how what? insane that is. Sean, it's crazy, Sean. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even earn a tenner out of that. I swear to God. And, I ch- and you know how these things are, Sean. I'm actually trying to, this is why, look, sometimes when you try and help people, especially in the wrong way, you, you get fucked. You don't do it. This was one of these things, Sean, right? But, you know, there you go. You live and learn, and, you know, this was the life then. That's just one example. There are many. There are a lot of other, you know, you know, other stuff, and, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing everyone uh, in Kingston. Tickets are selling really, really fast, and we've got a really good evening there for everyone. Singers, everything. There's a lot of, lot of really good stuff. You know, it's a VIP red carpet event, Sean. And um, I'm really looking forward to meeting everyone there. And you've got your new book out. Yeah, The Nine Laws of 
uh, transformation. Now, Sean, look, we had a chat about this before. I have that big history, right, as you know, bona fide history. I was released as a, you know, a cat, eh, uh, Sean, after 12 years, right? I played by the rules of that life. But when I come out of that, I'd seen through that life. I wasn't beholden to anyone, Sean. You know, the ones who play by the rules, they don't get anything. It's like me. They get all the hard stuff. You don't get anything. There's other people that are out there meant to be this and that. They're having 10, 20-year runs. How is it possible? You know, we know we know how that goes too. But look, that's that life, right? It's another life to me. So when I come out, look, you know, I changed my life. I knew I had to be the best that I could be. You know, I had to change everything, Sean. People, places, and things. You know, I left the old life and all of the secrets that I knew, you know, I let sleeping dogs lie, as I always will do until the very end, all right? I talk about anything, but there are things that I will never talk about. That life is over, right? And, um, but, you know, I've went on. You know, i become an entrepreneur, as you know. You know, we're in the studio today here. Beautiful studio. Our studio. Sean, it's really, it's really good to have you. You know, I love your work too. Uh, this is my third book, of course. You know, my first uh, book, The Monkey Puzzle Tree, is optioned to be a major film. I'll tell you a little bit about that as well, The Monkey Puzzle Tree. <laughs> it's been such a navigation with such a project like that, obviously, because of the money involved and different stuff. Of course, we had the COVID and different stuff. But a bit of an exclusive, you know, we're working, obviously, we're advanced and everything with the people we're working with in LA. But... They're actually turning that into a trilogy because there is so much content in that. I mean, it's more suited to be a TV series, really. I mean, we knew that. But but um, commercially, when the big boys step in, of course, it's a different game. It needs to be a certain way. So, you know, we were, we're in the middle of writing, you know, you know, and chopping that up. It's pretty much done. And then, of course, the LA writer's strike has come, right? It's still going on now. You know, we do a lot of work with them guys over there. That's where the film is, but we're very advanced there now, so the monkey puzzle tree, and um, that's the update on that. In this book, um, The Nine Laws of Transformation, I'm very proud of, Sean. I have to say, I touched a little bit on that. You know, uh, the reason being is it's going to be a book like Robert, you know, in the fashion of Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power, uh, Covey's, you know, the seven, seven habits of successful, successful people, really, you know. Because, look, you know, I beat addiction, you know, I was nutted off, Sean, right? You know, I come through that. You know, all the behavioural problems, the criminality, I mean, we can go on and on and on, Sean. But, you know, I'm a living history, you know, of overcoming that, circumventing that, obviously. You know, I've got the resilience code there, which is, you know, an educational model I'm really proud of, which is my personal brand. You know, of course, I've, you know, I've broadcasted and, uh, on some of the world's biggest, biggest platforms. You know, I've been doing this a long time. You Google, there's a lot of information there. You can be there for weeks, months looking at it, Sean. You know, the same as yourself. So, but, um, so, you know, I've been doing this for a while and th- this is really, with all the achievement and different stuff, Sean, the stuff that really makes my heart sing is, you know, I get so much messages and different things from people who's going through the things I was going through. You know, and they say to me, oh, Steve, you know, I was really in a dark place. I just, you know, I'm really snookered with this. Oh, it's this and that. But, you know, if you can do it, I can do it. You've really given me, a, you know, some brightness for a new day. You know, this stuff, Sean. 
I've been achieving a lot of stuff for a lot of time. It's great. I'm very grateful, very humble person, right? Of course I am. I work very hard for this stuff, same as yourself. But it doesn't necessarily make my heart smile, Sean, in them ways, right? Because this is a legacy. It's about changing lives. It's about passing the message. It's about being the real deal. It's about improving as many lives as possible. This is something tangible that it's above and beyond me. I'm just a conduit, right? You know, I'm privileged, you know, and uh, enough to be here, you know, to even be alive, Sean, where really, you know, we shouldn't be here. So, you know, I take that serious. And the um, nine uh, laws of transformation, it really goes into that. You've got all your, it's all your really technical stuff. But of course, I'm translating that in a simple way with all the techniques and everything to really help people rapidly transform their life and we all need to transform our lives Sean you know no matter what our history what our level what our age what our culture where we're from any of this stuff that's what life's about so you know it's a wonderful book I'm immensely proud of it I mean I'm going on Sky you know there's so much media happening on the way up to this tour but I'm actually booked as well on Sky uh, breakfast show in the studio um, on the 20, 24th of 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 August, so that's prime time. So you know, of you know, and a lot more other stuff. But there's just one that's coming up before the tour. That's going to be focused on the, on the book and on the tour. And um, yeah, Sean, you know. So you know, we're trying. We're really pushing forward with the good stuff, not just just the other stuff. But we want to change our pasts, and we want to live beautiful lives, and we want to help others to lift their life too. You know, and this has to be said because it's part, it's part of what the tour is about. There's 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 all this stuff, you know, the 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 exclusive stuff, stories that people want to hear. But there's a lot of the really elevated content as well to really help them with so much opportunities and um you know and other stuff involved in in what we're going to be doing in London, Kingston. 2nd of September sure. and I will be there as well so please come and see us link is in the description box all Stephen's links are in the description box congratulations man you've come so far is there any stories I've missed out or anything else you'd like to say there's so many stories Sean we could sit here for yeah, forever <laughs> and talk me and you right and uh, no um, thanks for the interview obviously going to be great to have you there you know the last one of course was when we were there with with our friend uh, michael michael francis yeah dear old michael he was over there um you know it's the same promotions as well who's doing who's doing this tour with me um uh stargate entertainment so you know this you know there'll be the links there but they're doing a wonderful job they're a great partner you know and uh you know you've got wonderful stuff coming to Sean so you know I'm a big supporter of all the great work that you're doing too my brother all right cheers Stephen thanks very much yeah Thank brilliant you, brother. Brother. well done yeah <laughs> Chet Sandu's book is finally available worldwide on Amazon. He's one of our most viral podcast guests ever. The book is called Self-Made, Juice Paid, an Asian kid who became an international drug-smuggling gangster. Do you want to read some of the back, Jen? Yeah, go the blurb. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Interesting. 
Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crime's underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press. Incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a super maximum security wing. He had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking and high state power plays. Good bedtime read. In self-made Jews paid learn how a British born Asian kid with disabilities raised in a corner shop emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry. Did you know that he dated Kylie Minogue and Naomi Campbell? (laughs) Latest interview. Working the doors and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated. If you enjoyed Chet's podcast series with us, there's a lot more detail in the book. Check it out. Worldwide on Amazon, ebook, paperback, and audiobook. I kill you! I yeah! a knife and a caution, all that like. Yeah! And he's looking at me, and we went white. Dave's gone like. <laughs> <laughs> What is it about a tough guy that fascinates us? Imagine I'm hearing that, I'm thinking I'm not going down today. If I go down today, yeah, I'm dead. We're bringing you the very best of our interviews with Britain's hardest men. They made the mistake of bringing billy cubs, iron bars and knives to a gunfight. No Rules Fighter Bash, Stephen the Devil French and my best friend, Wild Man. Over two hours of terrifying tales of punch-ups, stabbings. That's what happens in that world. You, you leave people long enough, they get enough rope to hang themselves. Attempted murders and exceptional all-round hardness. This film is available to rent or own on Amazon or Vimeo. Plus, the first 30 customers to order this film get a 30% discount on any Vimeo order. Click the link below to see if you're one of the lucky ones. This film will drop your jaw like a punch from the hard men we talk to. So why not order your copy today?